Hello, my name is Sam Clements and welcome to this special mini edition of The Love of Cinema, a Picturehouse podcast powered by Kia, championing independent cinema. On today's episode, we are joined by film producer Damien Jones to discuss his box office smash, Rye Lane, currently playing at your local Picturehouse cinema, and we sent Kalichi Ehenyolo along to talk to him about the movie. Everything all right in there? Trying to have a private moment? My bad. It's not that private, though. First of all, congratulations on the success of Rylane. I saw it just before release at a multimedia screening and everyone just absolutely lost their minds in terms of how wonderful and warm and positive it was seeing a Black story and a Black film that celebrates the community and just being a love letter to the city, especially for South London, just brought so much positivity and radiance to to our lives and just left me smiling. And I just saw, and I took my niece to see it recently the other day and she was like, Auntie Kelly, I love it. <laughs> I can't wait to tell my friends. So, you know, thank you and Rain and, and Tom uh, and Nathan for just bringing that to reality. Well, uh, our pleasure. And please <laughs> tell your niece to Get all our friends sooner rather than later to see it because it, yeah. it's a tough old business, and uh, it, you know they the movies are are pushed off for the for the next Star Wars release. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> the sooner they can go, the better. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess it leads perfectly into my first question: is I'm one person, but what has been your reaction to the overwhelming positivity to Ryan Lane and how people have connected to it? Well, it's been wonderful. Well, most importantly, in terms of audience appreciation and enjoyment, and certainly some of the uh, little videos I've seen coming from Peck and Plex and other cinemas where people have been cheering and standing ovations at the end has, has been wonderful. I've never seen that that before with any of my films. And obviously the reviews, both coming out of Sundance and, you know, more importantly, as far as I'm concerned, out of the UK, have been overwhelming. I've never had such a score on Rotten Tomatoes. May it stay certified. And on a slight flip side, you know, I just wish more people would go and see it because it's been lauded and creatively and critically but commercially, it's a, it's sort of a bit mild, shall we say. And mm. given that attention that it's deservedly got and garnered, I want just want more people to see it. And I appreciate that, you know, the general public can't be told to what, what to go and see and indeed don't understand the nature of this business, that if you don't go and see something for the first, you know, couple of weekends, that it gets elbowed out by the next movie that the exhibitors think they can sell more popcorn get more bums on seats for but um aside from that um, <laughs> I, I am thrilled and thrilled yeah it, it makes me kind of curious because obviously it's, it's a uk cinema release here it's going to be on disney plus very 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 shortly and in america you've got it streaming directly on hulu i think i believe exactly. um i'm interested to hear your thoughts about that kind of global reach that Rylane has had and and as a producer how you've both kind of navigated that cinema and also streaming world basically yeah I mean it's complicated in terms of Rylane it's a sort of unique situation in that when we did the deal with Searchlight to co-finance the film and distribute the film we had a guaranteed theatrical commitment within the contract 
I'm pleased to say, which I'm, I'm sure they would, you know, not to say they wouldn't have released it now anyway in the theatres. But back when we signed that deal, Disney Plus and Hulu did not actually exist. <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously over time, how much the streamers are such a valuable and and indeed some necessary and, and now sort of traditional platform for viewing lots of content and movies. It was no surprise when they said the rest of the world, it will go straight on our new services, Hulu and uh, Disney Plus. And I, to be honest, I had no objection at all um, creatively or commercially because uh, you know i do think more people will see it in the rest of the world on the streaming service than than they would have if there was a small you know u.s release or in certain territories a theatrical release in other parts of the world it's sort of not a conflict for me you know i've made a film for or helped make a film for netflix which if it had been as the original tent was to it was i i called i used to be famous and it's a wonderful film, you know, and it ended up being fully financed by Netflix and went straight to the the platform. And, you know, I, and it was in the top 10 for a week or, and not just in the UK. And I mean, more than a week. I know more eyes were on that than would ever have happened if it had been, a you know, a, a small indie release in the UK, which given on the surface the subject matter, that's what would have happened. And in terms of new projects, I, I'm not proud. I'm, you know, I just want to get them made. So, you know, I will go to a streamer as well as go to a Hollywood studio or an independent theatrical distributor here. You know, the goal at the end of the day is to make these things happen and get realised. And if, you know, I also believe that if the quality as one hopes, it will will shine through. A bit like Ride Lane, if you like yeah. I know there was that guaranteed theatrical, but I'm sure it would have been, especially after Sundance, you know, it would have been, because it's a UK movie in the cinemas as it is now, you know, the, the quality shines through. So, you know, people will combine, uh, as they do with other movies nowadays, yeah. bit day and date, you know, in the cinemas or, you know, a week or a couple of weeks later and then on the streamers. So on a sort of personal career front, I have no issue with it. You know, I guess if your film doesn't make a noise, though, but in, in, in its own way, probably the case with the cinema releases too. If it doesn't make a noise, then, you know, that menu on those streamers gets a little intimidating and, you know, it's easy not to be able to find that film you spent three years <laughs> with blood, yeah. sweat, tears or longer to get made and then it just disappears off somewhere. But, you know, you know, in a way that's the same with cinema. If it's a release that doesn't capture the uh, general public's attention, then it will go as well, so. I will do my best to keep shouting from the rooftops at how great Rylane is and make sure you get some bums on seats to go and see it because it is, for me, one of the films of the year. Just to kind of take a slight detour, because you, as you are, as a producer, but you started your career as an actor. <laughs> and then you did a brief stint as a location manager. I'm just, you know, and you, you the films that you have produced, that, you know, I'm thinking of like The Iron Lady, See How They Run, Boxing Day, Bell, Blue Story. I mean, it's a vast career that you've you've had. And it's just a, like curiosity, what made producing like your true calling and what draws you to a project? God, is it my true calling? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> what have I done with my... <laughs> well, firstly, just, just a very quick aside. I was never an actor. Uh, I have a very weird, but I've always loved it. So I've never taken it off. I am the acting credit candelabra holder in Phantom of the Opera. Um, <laughs> now there is some there's some poor person who indeed was the 
candelabra holder in Phantom of the Opera with the same name as me. Um, <laughs> but I have his credit, and I've never told IMDb that it's an error. Anyway, moving on. Well, actually, I always thought, so I did the crew side and worked hard at that and did some ADing and locations, as you say. So that was sort of on-set experience. And then I wanted to learn what went on behind the scenes before you actually ever reach set, i.e. development and financing. So I went in-house, again, as a sort of PA-type receptionist to the likes of Working Title and um, other production companies and sort of tried to see what I could learn from afar. I really thought there were three sort of jobs to have from the set days, which was the lead actor, and I'm not an actor, um, <laughs> the, the director, which I didn't have a clue about back then, and the producing, and I'd always been quite good, I thought, at making things happen and organisation, but most excitingly sort of spotting talented people and trying to sort of make things happen with them. So producing, hence going in sort of in-house, so to speak, was what I felt I needed to, that part of the sort of learning curve, if you like, I needed to understand until you do it, or certainly with me, until you do it, you don't learn it. But I guess over time, um, when I did go independent and try it on my own, I improved my, if you like, my taste. My taste came to less self-indulgent. I started to see what writing, as well as myself enjoying it, but actually stories that I thought I could get made. And and the eclectic array, range of films I, you know, fortunately produced, there's only one thing really in common with them is that I thought that I really enjoyed them, so I thought, other people would enjoy them once they were realised. And I, I thought the voices, the writing, there was a new voice there, there was a story I hadn't heard, there was a style I hadn't read before, and it, you know, it's, it spoke to me in a, in a way that was, you know, lovely storytelling, This, you know, whatever the subject matter. And, uh, you know, half the time, half my movies are, are ideas that I've come up with over time that cleverer people than myself have been executed, elaborated on. And uh, others are, you know, talented people who have fortunately thought of me to help them out, get their projects made. So it's been a mixed bag. It's always about the script and then the filmmaker. And then if I think I can be an asset and, you know, make it happen. Awesome. Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before so that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. Still, it's it's inspiring, like to to hear that that hear that journey, and I hope that people who are hearing that journey just it just inspires everybody else because, you know, there's there's a lot of creativity and there's a lot of stories out there to be told, and you know to bring to bring that to fruition and to see that particularly something like Rye Lane, which is so culturally intrinsic, you know, to the community and for Black people, it felt so special. And love to hear more your thoughts about how did you personally get involved in helping to shape and develop Rylane to from script to the screen. No, I'm very proud of it. I'm very fond of everyone involved. There's partly, you know, again, proud of them. I'd been involved in some sort of, if you like, <laughs> dreadful phrase, you know, genre they call urban genre movements, as they call. I'd made a few of those. Blue Story being the latest, which, you know, I'm very proud of with Ratman. But I thought, A, there's a genre of that now, for good or bad, and B, I don't want to tell that story again or that type of story again. You know, And there are more stories to tell. And I was lucky enough, sort of a family connection. I've known Nathan Barron, one of our co-writers for a while. 
And he sent me this romantic comedy when Alan Miller will get annoyed because I call it a black rom-com. But anyway, that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to call it. Well, that's how I set it up. And that's mm. how I sold it, if you like, initially. Because mm. I certainly hadn't seen that before, certainly out of the UK. Anyway, it was funny. It was actually originally set in Camden. And it was mm. Rain who uh, said, let's, you know, we've seen that. Let's let's do somewhere we haven't seen. I mean, her roots were around Peckham, et cetera. Anyway, I set it up with the BBC Film Group. But before we entered the deal, I wanted a director on board because I know what development's like. It's an important, huge part, of the most important in a way, part of the process, getting the script right. But personally, you know, having had projects that have been de- developed for a while, while I, I mean years, and then you get a director on, and then it goes about, you know, then another few years. So I wanted to start with a director on board from the beginning. And I was introduced to Rain's work, or recommended to by Yvonne, the other producer, but also others to check her out. And we met. She really liked the script, even though she was and will be doing her own work in the future. But you know, was excited to have the overture from me and had great ideas. So we sort of teamed up with the BBC, went through a draft or two, and then it was time to put the money together. So I approached the BFI with the BBC's blessing. And then I was talking to another studio about being the third financer. And then Searchlight, who I know very well, sort of gazumped them, shall we say, fell in love with the script. And then with Yvonne's help, the other producer, we put together a great crew, a lot of Rain's people from commercials, and, you know, went off and made it. God, I don't know, 30 days or 32 days. I can't, I can't. Oh, wow. You know, obviously we'd cast David and Vivian by that point. And, you know, and it was clear that we, we were never going to get, you know, there's only a, not even a, a one hand can you count the amount of uh, bankable black film stars out of the UK. So uh, we were always going in knowing we would cast unknowns, just the best actors we could find. And uh, through um, Isabella Dauphin, I got some recommendations for her, but Kamel Cochran, who had worked with um, Rain on her commercials and short, came up with some great candidates and, David and Vivian shone through. Great cast, great crew, and made this wonderful film. And Searchlight helped us, as did all the finances in post, but just little sort of augmenting of the post budget with music and, and some tracks and, you know, some music tracks that originally we didn't think we could afford. You know, they were fortunate enough to have this great reaction. Awesome. What was it like exploring just those little cultural details, because there's so many things about South London that it has that just brings just a smile to my face. Like I, I work in South London, so I was like, oh my gosh, that's 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 Brixton Village, that's that's um, that's Peckham, that's and and all those little things, and just even like the party scene where you have Ray and nephews, you know, the uh, supermall, all these kind of little details. What was it like to bring that culture to life on for the for the screen? I have to, you know, credit where credit is due. And that was Rain and the writers, you know, to be frank, know that well better than I. And I'm also plus a, not a South Londoner, you know, I love going down there and visiting. So that detail was really from Rain, first and foremost, given her roots from there. And then Nathan and Tom's the co-writers, you know, as well as the great production designer and location manager, etc. But Rain in her amazing evocative visual style you know knew the colors and the sound she wanted to capture from that part of the world so uh, sort of followed her lead i seem to remember there was even a bus journey to check if the timeline could work the director and writers and others 
took the bus from sort of Peckham to Brixton or something and sort of timed it as though could Vivian and, and, and David walk or Yaz and Don walk this far <laughs> over the course <laughs> of this amount of time? I think with poetic license, the answer was yes. I think. Yeah. Were there, were there any other like locations within South London that you earmarked but couldn't because of logistics and so forth or time? You know, we shot some of it during COVID and I'd done a couple of movies during COVID and on the one hand, it's sort of constricting. On the other hand, it was sort of beneficial that the places were empty and people were keen, understandably, for some in- income to uh, rent out their properties or, you know, allow us to shoot there or whatever. So um, it was sort of half and half. I think we got majority of everything we wanted. Artistically, there was a couple of murals. We ended up, we couldn't license because of whatever. It just wasn't possible. There are in Peckham that we had to sort of not change, but sort of shoot elsewhere. And there was one point we, I know Yvonne reached out to the local MP who she knew because we'd got an initial refusal to shoot. Not actually in Rye Lane, but literally like right next door to Rye Lane. So it's slightly ironic given the title of the film. We ended up being able to shoot there. So that was a godsend. But no, I don't think there was anywhere that was prohibited to us. You know, at the end of the day, you know, because you send the script or some of the script to, these authorities to approve and the owners of you know, establishments and you know they could see that it's something refreshing and light and important. And for a film that celebrates grand gestures, have you ever experienced one? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've been married 30 years, so yes, been a, been a few of those from my better half. You know, I, and I guess, well, personally slash professionally, um, the wonderful reactions you, I'm not a big social media person. What people have shared with me from other people's reaction to the film, I, I, I don't know if they're grand gestures, but they're very uh, generous gestures. And, uh, you know, it's lovely seeing people respond in that way. Awesome. I mean, it's, I feel like it's just such an important film and it would be curious to know why something like Rylane is needed because it feels like once I've seen it, I want to see more diverse stories. I want to see more of our stories told on the big screen. So I hope this becomes, you know, an, a platform for more of these type of stories and celebrates um, the stories of like, like Dom and Yas, because I didn't see them as stereotypical characters. I saw them as just real, real people. And that was exactly. such a pleasing, pleasing for her. So yeah, curious to know like why these, these stories are important from a personal point of view. I think this film will, even though, you know, I was saying it, it may be not long, in the cinemas here, but we'll obviously have the next life on streamers, the Disney streamers. I don't want to use the word cult, but I think it'll, like all great classic rom-coms, it'll be around forever in the day and it will be referenced and uh, it ain't going anywhere. True, true words. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it speaks volumes about how rom-coms have never really, never really died. They always, they always find their, their love and their charm throughout nowhere. So I hope and pray that this finds a, an audience even on the streaming, in the cinemas, everywhere. Like I said, I'll keep preaching the voice <laughs> for, for its <laughs> Please do. Please <laughs> do.